You're ready to be premature wow, all over again. <laughs> wow, that's, that's impressive. Quick, quick reset. Yeah. Quick reset. Last night was Ramos Jizz. A Jizz. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn, you can. <laughs> My SEAL Team 6 with the SEAL Team 12. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. I thought you'd get better. Well, I don't know what's worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Season 3 is here. It is week 2. The train is not stopping. We are plowing ahead. We are fortunate enough to have the man, the myth, the legend of the Haas Nest Monster. Haas is back in the studio. Los, los Cuatro Yanetes are whole once again. We missed you last week, brother. We're glad you're back in the studio. How is everybody doing? Just a crazy motherfucker living it up, not giving a fuck. Living life in the fast lane. <laughs> like I said, it's going to be every episode. I'm that. committed to the bit. That's it. You're just doing it. <laughs> You're gonna ride that horse. Committed that's, to the bits. That's, that's why you're I'm a, a, I'm a method podcaster. I'm hey, a method podcaster. Sure Might as well be you. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker <laughs> burn. Yeah. Burn, sure motherfucker. Burn. Burn. Uh yeah, glad everybody's here. It is week two of season three. It's hard to believe. You know, we're we're here we are in season three. Who knew? Wait, we did. We talked about this in our hundredth episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and do it. We knew. We knew. We felt it. It was there. some real gems in that episode. There are. There are some real Easter egg type things if you're into that stuff. But yes, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me once again. Here we are. I don't want to waste any time. Haas, we're glad you're back. Super excited about this episode. Sorry, one here. Missed you guys. You know, you got to do what you do. Family comes first. And uh, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get up for Friday nights when I don't get to see y'all's faces every week. I know, you know? it's, it's got to be tough. Yeah, it's a good thing they make we know a what you mean. that now. That's so it. That's you're good. It. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's jump into our drinks. Uh, you know, Mac, you were first in the studio, so I'm going to let you go first today, brother, because you were here patiently waiting before the other gentleman got here. Um, so, what are you drinking today? Um, so I, I went back to the uh, the screwball whiskey, screwball. Uh, the peanut butter whiskey again. You know, I last week did the uh, Reese's peanut butter with it. Yes. Um, this week, uh, followed the, the recommendation of the, uh, gentleman at the package store down in Georgia, uh, where I purchased it. And, I uh, also purchased the black Brunt liqueur to go with it that he recommended. Um, so basically just, you know, a one for one screwball whiskey and the blackberry liqueur to make a peanut butter and jelly, uh, drink. And, uh, it's pretty darn good. It's a little sweet. Um, but it, it does have some good flavor to it. And it does kind of harken back to that, you know, maybe crustless or with crust, however you preferred your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, as a with child. crust? It's just a waste of fucking Look, bread to cut that shit off. Just because your mom wouldn't cut the crust off for or you. Or the circle ones you can with out. crust. We, so, so I will throw this out there. For Little Mac, we used to have the cookie cutters and we would make star peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm -hmm. or a whale peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm okay You're with admitting that. You're a big baller. <laughs> well, don't lie. You still make those motherfuckers. You know you do. I do. I yes. do. Uh, I would. Uh, I, what I should do is try and like, you know, make like a jello out of this and make it in that shape. Ooh. That would work. That would be yummy. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, it's really good. I would do this. I would do this again, and it's good because I have a lot of this liquor left. PB and J. <laughs> PB and J in a cup with a little ice. There you go. Yep. All right. I will go next. Mac, thank you so much for your PB and J. I will go next. I just sent it to you guys. Uh, I, I don't know if you'll be able to view it or not. It was an Instagram recipe. It got sent to me, so I thought I would try it. And it is called Brazilian lemonade. Now, it is takes a little effort to make it. So you put water in a blender. You, you quarter up a couple of limes. You throw them in the blender. You pulse it a few times just to chew up the, the limes. You know, it kind of express that lime juice out of it. Then you strain it. Uh, with that, I also put five tablespoons of sugar. Give it a little sweetness. Okay, blend that up. Then I strain it. Then I put the, the liquid back in the blender and I add a half can of condensed milk. So sweetened condensed milk. Blend that up. So that's Brazilian lemonade by itself. So the recipe I sent you, that's all it's going to give you. And I thought, I tasted it. I was like, God damn, this is really good. I'm going to mix it with alcohol. And this is going to be an a spirited debate. Brazilian lemonade. So I took some uh, reposado, some Terramana reposado tequila. Thank you to the rock. I appreciate you once again. And I put in three ounces of <laughs> reposado tequila, put it in a shaker with this pre, uh, I say pre-made because I made it ahead of time, shook it up and uh, over some ice, poured it in my glass. And Mac, like I said, this is what looks like a quart of jizz in a glass right now. <laughs> jizz relax. Yeah. <laughs> that's it don't worry it, i am is that for ramos yes this is ramos's jizz and it is a brazilian brazilian lemonade a la a spirited debate so it is our version of the brazilian lemonade and i sent you the recipe in case you want to try it i know it's some effort so i know you probably won't but fuck it maybe you will no it sounds good so, it is I, it's actually very tasty yeah i want it's, to ask the question it um, sounds muito bem you might thank say you. I don't know what that means, but gracias. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Be, being, the, being the method podcaster that you are, did you uh, did you go full Brazilian when you made the Brazilian drink? Oh, it's a landing strip. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you just a little landing strip? <laughs> just for like a little Cessna, maybe? <laughs> just a tiny play. Yes, that's a little it. puddle jumper. That's it. Uh, so that's what I'm having, the Brazilian lemonade a la a spirit of debate. So that's me. Grinch, what about you, brother? You are next in, in the studio. What are you having today? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, just based on the weather and how things were going and the topic, I just wanted a beer today. Uh, really? So I'm drinking. Did you pay $12 for that beer? Well, that's actually <laughs> the, the setup to that was going to be, well, oh, water's sorry. so fucking expensive. Oh, I may as well drink some beer. Yeah. Fuck that up. Shit. $4 water? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> So yeah, uh, it's our New England IPA, and uh, it's good. I'm not a Easy fan strength. of IPAs, man. They're a little bitter. I'm for not me. either. Okay. Yeah, you feel too happy for me. Yeah. Well, miss a New England IPA. Um, Break it down. People for use us. the term "juicy," it, like it's got more of that component to it. Whereas with a standard IPA, you get like more of that just straightforward bitterness. Um, be, be, be real careful. Be real careful where I we're need, going here. I need, oh, I'm I need using. To, I, need, I need to know if it's moist. These are not accidental words. <laughs> it's, it's not moist. It's juicy. It's subliminal. Is it squirt out of the can. <laughs> <laughs> Your juicy beer in my glass. That's still not a just. talent. It's still not a talent. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> so you are just having a New England IPA. Yes, sir. There you go. Hey, beer is super simple. Hey, when water's four dollars and beer's four dollars, you right. cup it to beer. And the whole the whole attitude of like the frat culture the toxic culture was like 
slam as many of these in your face as you can. Now get in there, boys. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't <laughs> going to be with that beer you held up, right? I was going to say, no, let's be honest. It was not going to be a, a fancy was, Southern Pines beer. It was Budweiser. Beer. We saw the yeah, pictures. That's right. Bud Light, Budweiser, Coors. Yeah, it wasn't going to be that shit. That's got some class to it. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you bringing it to the studio. All right, Haas, you uh, last into the studio. You're bringing up the caboose, which you know you're probably apt to do on Friday nights, bringing up the rear. Um, so what are you drinking today? Water. Got to do what you got to do. Well, you're not. I've already seen it. <laughs> I mean, it's colored water. It's flavored water. <laughs> Brown water. There's water aged, in it. It's aged for six years, water. It's water that sat in a porta potty for three days. <laughs> I've been thinking about drinking this again for a while. This is the second bottle I've been able to find here. So I went back to the old Bibb and Tucker, six year aged Bibb and Tucker. Uh, if you haven't had it, it's very smooth. Have you for been 90, for 92 proof? It's, 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 yeah, it's nice bad. and smooth. No bite. Yeah. Have you been fortunate enough to find uh, when we had the Duke on? Were you fortunate enough to find it was the gin he was drinking? It was Spanish gin or something? I did. Like that? Oh, I did, did. Nordis. Nordis gin. Oh, I did find gin. it and I've tried it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Ordered it for yourself or tried it out somewhere? Um, the pub I go to has some. Oh, my favorite pub. My, my, the pub that's like 100 yards from the, from the flat. Okay. Had, had some, so I tried it uh, before I ordered it. Um, it's a little too floral for, for me. For you. Yeah, it's okay. kind of, for me, it kind of tasted like I was drinking flower water. Like, you know, there was flowers in a vase. They sat there for a while. Someone took them up, put them in upside down, sat there for a while, took it out, and then drank the water poured some ice in and said, here you go. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't okay. I'm, I'm being a little military. It wasn't that bad. Um, it, it was, it was good. It was decent. Um, but it was definitely not monkey 47 or botanist in my, uh, for my palate. Um, so I will gladly grab as many bottles of it as I can and bring it back for, for the Duke. For Duke. Can I ask how you drank it? You can have all of them. Uh, I, I tried it straight up at first, okay, just so I could enjoy the flavors, and then yeah, my, my typical gin and tonic. Okay. But I asked them, I asked them to put no mint or cucumber or lime in it because I wanted just to have it with the tonic. I didn't want to, I didn't want the flavors to get jacked up. That so, makes yeah, sense. And trying it by itself was obviously going to be intelligent because then you're going to know yeah. the flavor profile. Yeah. Yeah, I tried that first, um, and it, like I said, it was good, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't all it was touted to be, which is fine. I mean, different palettes, you know, different folks. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it's more for him. He shouldn't be mad that I don't like it because I drink so much. Right. Uh, he should be happy that uh, I don't like it so I can bring him a case back because um, I'm working on that's a new skill. Keystring a keystring <laughs> a case. So, yeah. <laughs> I apologize, Haas. I apologize too. I didn't. I, I like. I said it not expecting everybody to start noticing it right like then. Watching it right then, because <laughs> I was as soon as you said what you said, Haas. I was like, "There's got to be a porta potty cocktail." I already know. <laughs> and of course, what do I find? The jackass cocktail Ooh, supremo right. de pupo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just wrong. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Is this an Asmir video shame, you sent out? No did that. You know, you, like you put like a Snickers bar in the middle of it or something. Baby right? Ruth, baby Ruth. You know, or baby Ruth, that's it. All right, I'm going to have to I'm You know the fun size board. ones is ice cubes so <laughs> right, they're right, just right. floating. Freeze them, uh -huh, you could get away uh -huh. with that. Yeah, like you it. could, actually. Uh, <laughs> so my okay. apologies, Austin. Thank you, thank you. Uh, all right, let's move on. So there's our drinks, obviously. Uh, cheers to you, gentlemen, Haas. Cheers. cheers. Thank you for being back. Yeah, Another cheers. good show. Missed you as always. All right, let's a week's go ahead. just a little bit sadder. No, it's a lot sadder when I don't when you're not see here. you guys. Yeah, we agree. When I we agree. See you guys. 100%. Fucking, 100%. fucking sucks. 
All right. So let's go ahead and jump into our topic. Uh, the four horsemen are here. We're excited. Let's get it on. Uh, so as of late, recently, there was a documentary released to Netflix, and it was called Trainwreck. And it documents the three-day festival of Woodstock 99, the train wreck that it was. There is also another documentary that came out in 2021 on HBO in their music box, Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. And it also, it, it's a, a single uh, documentary, an hour and 50 minute documentary where Trainwreck was broken up into three episodes, three parts. The Peace, Love, and Rage documentary was one two hour block about the festival and all of the issues with the festival. And we thought, you know what, at our age, 99, we were all in that 23, 24. It was the demographic set for us. I mean, it was geared towards us. Uh, so we thought this would be a good time. Wanted to come on, wanted to talk about it, look at a lot of the issues that were surrounding it from the profiteering, the lack of logistics, the band issues, the promoters issues, the, the, uh, what did you say when you're talking about your beer, Grinch, the, the college frat boy mentality issues. Yeah. And I all mean, of that, the lack of water issues, the lack of personal yeah. hygiene, you know, the issues. shit mud that they well, swim around in. And, and, you know, the, the, the theme of this package, the different way, which was a question posed to one of to me by one of my coworkers was how can you have a festival with however many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people there with barely any issues yet? This one went so far off the rails. And my response was, if you watch this documentary, you'll understand. Because mm -hmm. it answers that very question. Like, well, it Why answers it, it. It answers it multiple times without even really trying, right? Like, I mean, it's clear that the two guys running it didn't give two fucks about anybody can, but themselves and the money they're well, in. Can I ask and a part, quick question? Before, with we, rock stars. before we descend, Sorry. Matt, give me a second. Can I, I ask a question? That. No, no. Grinch, what festival were they referring to you when they asked you that nothing, question? What nothing in particular, but if you think of like Rockfest or Hellfest or Wacken or some of these massive festivals that are that are in Europe and other locations that have been pulled off successfully. Now, I mean, okay, yeah, and just the other day there was a festival, I think maybe in Spain, where they had like a huge wind event that caused deaths. That's not the same thing. That's kind of an unexpected yeah. environmental situation that you can't plan for. Yeah, and and, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily just wait hand waving that off of liability, but it's it's not really the point. It's well, look, the point is, is there's things you can control, and there's things you can't control. There's things you can plan for, and there's things you can't plan for. I, I think right. that's the distinction here, right? Right, and yeah. and I guess that was the the question I wanted to ask is, was there a specific festival they were citing? Because clearly, occurring in '99, every festival since then, like that, becomes the cautionary tale for any You're festival right. you right. put on since then. So of course, it's easy to go well. Other festivals don't have that issue. Yeah, no shit. Because the year they that Coachella came out right on the heels of this one, there were no issues. Why? They gave away free water. I mean, they they did. They took a lot of what this one, the issues from this one, and they said to eradicate those. This is how we need to approach it. That's what they did. So I mean, yeah, it yeah. Is, no, I, I agree. I, okay. I mean, I I agree, and I and I know that's the whole point of what we're here to talk about today. And sorry, Mac. I know we cut off your question, yes. but. The, the, the details are the very specific details related to this event are what made it so tragic, you know, as opposed to what well, we just didn't think about. And, you know, and Hoss, you just said this, like you plan for it. And then there's the, we just didn't think about, and then there's you, you set these conditions and then you acted shocked when it happened. 
because you simply didn't understand the, the situation you were creating. Well, and you know what drove me up the fucking rails is they didn't even really act that shocked. They acted dismissive. They took and, no responsibility. And, 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 and like shifted, tried to shift respons- responsibility. I, like, I mean, the whole thing with, with Fred, with, with Limbisk and Fred Durst, right? Like, I mean, you, you can't blame him. Well, yeah, you can. There, there's, there can be shared responsibility, right? But you should be looking at yourself first, right? Like you, you are the person that puts this on and plans it and controls it. So you determine what happens or doesn't happen. Amen. I, I, just, I, I know Max got a thought there. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I got to yeah, yeah. breathe for a minute. I, 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 and, and I got to get it out before I forget about it. Do it, that. do it, do it now. Um, so I, I think, you know, Hoss, you touched on something there, right? Where you said, you know, you can't blame, or, or you, you, you said you could blame Lint Biscuit to some extent. Um, I don't know that you can, because I think they touched on it, and, and, and I'll bring back to the, to the point I was going to make here in just a second. They touched on it in the show, right? Limp Biscuit was what Limp Biscuit was, right? They they were not yeah. making up anything, right? The the guy's a jackass. Yeah, yeah. And the band is and the band is, you know, their music is full of rage. Um so you know, you, you can't even remotely start to try and blame him because you booked that act. Well, uh, you should on. have vetted that. And so so my my bigger point being that when they put this festival together. Nobody looked at it from a lineup standpoint and said, "Wow, this is a Woodstock lineup." Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was not a Woodstock lineup no. from from top no. to bottom. And the this kind of people a, that it was bringing in, I mean, there was well, some, right? Like there was Willie Nelson, sure, sure. In some cases, Bush, right? Jewel. But but this was not. I mean, this was a metal festival. If you yeah. look at the lineup and compare it to other lineups, North. like from '94 and '69. This was not your peace, love, and hippiness festival by any stretch of the imagination. So, exactly. I mean, exactly. And I think that's a, that's a critical point to all this in terms of the biggest point, which was, right. I think John Sherry even said, we booked the biggest acts out of the day. Right. And, right. And, and I get it as a producer. You're proud of the fact you pulled that off, right? I mean, if you just if you said strip away everything you might know about Woodstock '99 and just showed that lineup, you're like, and and just randomly walked up to somebody, I'd be like, holy shit, how did you get all those bands together, right. right? It, but back to the whole thing that was mentioned and and multiple times was they pulled off '99, but it didn't make a lot of money. No, 94. And they kept, or, 94. Or 94. Or 94. And they kept saying because the fences came down and people didn't pay. I find that hard to believe based on how much they were charging for all the other bullshit. But that aside, it's it suggested to me that they said, we're going to take steps to ensure we're going to make a profit. We're yeah, gonna and, make and a not just that, but they're going to squeeze every red cent from every freaking corner they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, but hold on. to the opposite extreme. Well, one thing that I'd like to bring up, though, on that is, and, and I'm not condoning, right, what they did. You know, $8 for burrito, I think they said in one of the uh, episodes, $4 for all our listeners, order. you need to keep in mind, this was the this was 1999, right? Like, this isn't today's prices. This is 23 even, years ago's then. prices. You, I mean, look, $8 for a burrito today, went, I don't think anybody would necessarily blink that if it's a quality burrito, right? But I mean. But if you went to one of those shows or you went to you know a concert or anything like that, you're going to expect to pay a premium 
Um, you expect some price gouging, for, sure. For but... what you're getting. The problem I had, I think, to some extent, was that they, they were creating a market for themselves, right? They knew the weather's going to be shit. It's going to be hot. We're on an old military base. There's going to be, you know, these people are going to be standing on asphalt and tarmac. And guess what? We want you to come out and camp for three days, but you can't bring in any water. Or right, any you can't bring anything like bring, that. You can bring drugs. So, they weren't. They weren't. Yeah, yeah, that's drugs. okay. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. But you know, so they were creating the market for themselves, which I think is where you know why though, because drugs a lot of people make people problem. compliant and thirsty. Well, yeah. How'd that work out? And, and thirsty and but hungry. Piling, yeah, yeah. Piling on to that, Mac. I mean, I think that's that's another key facet of this was it wasn't any one particular thing other than the overarching greed. Right. It was the series of decisions. And I, I was telling the missus, I don't even know if they still do it. There used to be a series on like History Channel called Engineering Disasters. And as you watched it, it was not one thing that was blatantly obvious you could just fix. It was like these little human decisions, small chinks, in maybe the with a, a malfunction or something that just compounded the problem. Even like if you watch the story of Chernobyl, it's amazing that it happened. It is like it shouldn't have happened, but hubris and some other things contributed to a, a series of decisions that ultimately just led to catastrophe. Right. And to me, that's how I kept looking at this thing was, okay, we, you know, all right, we found the location. I didn't have any problem with the location. You know, they kept saying on asphalt, on asphalt. I'm like, yeah, it's a giant facility. Right. It makes perfect sense to me. That it makes they would sense to me as well. If they had taken into account the weather and whether or not, you know, and the heat coming up off of that, like if you allow people to bring in your own water or you have more water yeah, stations right. yeah. or something like that, I totally get it. Well, uh, yeah, you can't bring in your own beer. That's fine. You can't, bring, you know, you can bring in some food, but to not let them bring in water and expect them to camp out for three days and then charge them. You're, you're asking to overwhelm your facilities overwhelm your support staff which you know as we all free water kind of but that's minimum. exactly yeah that's free exactly water the logic well they, they did down. offer free water until you know all that water became tainted and they started busting pipes and you know i'm sure we'll touch on this at what point do we look at the sense of entitlement to the of these people to then you know say well we're upset so we're going to start destroying everything all right, so let's let's Don't stop here. Let's stop here. No, 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 a Grinch. Let's stop here because yeah, this is season three, <laughs> and I'm going to take better control. And I apologize to all our listeners. In the past, things have just been a runaway train. So there are going to be three key elements I want to focus on. We're going to do them in order. All right, professionalism. Grinch said last week. I got the syllabus. I got it. Okay. Uh, so there are going to be three key elements. First, the promoters and their culpability. We'll talk about them. All of the things related to them, but as it relates to promoters. Second is going to be the bands. Matt, uh, Haas, you I fucking went through everybody until I got to Haas. <laughs> Haas, you said that you can blame the band. So we're going to talk about it from a band's perspective. Are they culpable? Do they have a responsibility in their position being on stage from a control of the crowd issue? And then third, the audience. Okay. And, and what was their level of responsibility in terms of going there and how they behaved and things of that nature. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with promoters and the promoters are going to cover obviously John Sher, who was head of promoting this thing, coupled with the founder, Michael Lang, uh, those two almost exclusively, we'll talk about those promoters, but also the vendors that were responsible in terms of the price gouging and profiteering. Okay. So we're going to start there and then we will discuss the bands and then 
the audience themselves. So let's start with just the promoters. You guys mentioned the infrastructure. Griffiths Air Force Base. It had closed down. It had been shut down in Rome. They lost what, between four and 6,000 jobs, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you said like 4,500. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's a lot. It affects so then, the community. So the mayor thinks this is a perfect opportunity to get an infusion of money back into the area by agreeing to put this festival on here. And from an infrastructure standpoint, you go, it's an Air Force base. They're going to have facilities. They're going to have buildings. They're going to have big open areas. Yes. They had a Some hospital, covered, right? I mean, they right. had, yeah. Some covered by asphalt, you know, they had huge hangars where they could house things in the hangars and things of that. Uh, ilk, uh, they they used the air traffic control tower on the base as an observation deck for people to be able to do. Uh, what is that supposed to mean? What's going on here? We are staying in our lane. I'm in control. I'm driving the fucking bus. Baby, baby uh, is in look, the corner. That's it. No, nobody provided me any water. I'm so, burning this damn thing down. I don't know what to tell you. You burn whatever you want down. Say. It's not going to affect me. You do what you got to do, bro. Break shit. Oh, okay. Um, so by all accounts, looking at how 94 had gone, Grinch, because what you said, like basically in the Socrates, New York, in an open field where there was really no infrastructure, it was just a fence they put up that was able to be taken down and people could just walk in. So yes, they, they said, we want this to be profitable. We're going to use this Air Force base. There's a, it was like an eight mile wall around it. And so it, it was enclosed by default. And they thought this is a perfect way to prevent what happened in 94, assuming the weather is in our favor because in 94 it rained. Uh, everything should be good from a, a logistical standpoint. Now it's a matter of booking bands, booking vendors, selling tickets, and we're off to the races, right? For all intents and purposes, that's what they're looking at. I mean, it's one of the reasons Michael Lang partnered with John Sher because he's like, we can pull this off. And they had a, I imagine, a vision that they thought this is going to work this time. What I thought was interesting about the Netflix documentary from the production standpoint is how many of the production staff were like, right out of the gate, no, we do not need to do this. Like, they were like, this is a bad idea because of what happened in 94. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was really interesting as well. And, you know, maybe it's from, you know, I think all of us probably by our ages now have a touch point of this. When you start getting a vibe from the people who are kind of in the weeds in the trenches that make stuff happen and their antennas start perking up to go, Ooh, that was definitely, I, I know it's hindsight, right? I know yeah. the interview was hindsight, but I didn't get the impression that was like made up after the fact it felt like they knew like, Holy cow, are we really going to do this? Well, and I think one of the, uh, one of the individuals who was, um, and I, I cannot think of his name for the life of me, but he, he mentions in the, uh, the Netflix documentary, you know, they're sitting in the room with uh, Michael Lang and John Shear and going down the list of bands that they've booked. And, and, and he's like, you know, look, you guys aren't in touch with these bands, right? You know, I know who you're booking and this isn't going to end well. And they were, you know, he said, I basically got the impression to, you know, shut the hell up. Don't, don't open your mouth. Yeah. So it was like, they, they were going to move forward with what they thought would sell the most tickets and make the most money. And, and, and package it as Woodstock, even though, even though it wasn't. Right. You're referring to Lee Rosenblatt, the assistant site manager, who at the time was, yeah, okay. in 99 was 22 years old. So he was our age well, and, and perfectly situated to understand and, who the bands were that they were trying to book. And he's the one at the end that said it comes down to one word. And Grinch talked about this earlier. It came down to greed. Right. Greed. Yeah. 100%. Right. And, like, I mean, a, a blind half-witted person could watch this and realize that that's what it was about. And, and, and I think this relates to the producers, right? Because 
it on top of the actions were that will you know we'll continue to unpack their approach to the band suggested there was no peace love and happiness it, that that's and that's the point the i fucking guiding make, yeah. light right it bro, never was bro, really corn yeah, <laughs> biscuit, rage against yeah. the machine, rage against machine. I mean, right there in the name yeah. rage yeah, you, I mean, you, come on. you look at 94, and I, I won't go back to 69 because I wouldn't recognize a whole lot of the bands, probably. But if you look at the 94 lineup, you know, the, the heaviest bands there that I would consider would be Nine Inch Nails, Metallica, Cypress um, Hill. And I wouldn't consider them, though, their following, though, well, is, just, not a, you, is not a rage following. Oh, no, 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 not a rage following. No, I, I'm just talking about in terms of like, you know, heavy metal, okay. kind of that, you know, letting that out. You're looking at Nine Inch Nails, Metallica, maybe the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Green Day. Th- those were the heaviest bands in 94 as far as like, you know, what, what I would consider heavy metal or rock metal. And, and, and I think we all know that, you know, they're not. They're not Limp Biscuit. They're not Corn. Um, yeah, they're not I Kid mean, Rock, right? They, they, you know, those bands just elicit a whole other, you know, era or, or kind of mindset from people when when that music comes on, right? And I'm not moving to the bands yet, but yeah. I'm just in the sense of I, I just I do hang on to that that key point that they've just wanted the biggest bands. They didn't really understand the lineup and there was no guiding moral compass to that in terms of what message they wanted to convey and the, the atmosphere they wanted to create. I I don't, I don't, I mean, they would have maybe hard pressed to convince me otherwise. I just don't think they gave a shit about that. No, I don't think they gave a shit about that. You you had people that were out of touch, right? That that's, I think the bigger key too, right? With, with the acts they were booking, like you said, Grinch, they were booking acts that were the biggest acts at the time that would sell the most tickets and put the most people in that field. Right. And, and at the time, they weren't trying to promote any sort of cohesive, you know, peace, love, kumbaya. They just wanted a bunch of people in there. And then when it went bad and it went south, they basically said, well, it's all the band's fault. Well, well you yeah, the they, were gonna lay it, they were going to lay it at somebody's feet and it wasn't going <laughs> right. to be their own. They made sure of that. Uh, 1999, when this was put on, the ticket price for the three-day weekend was $150 for an advance ticket. If you bought it at the door, it was 180 And if we say all of them were advanced tickets, we know they weren't. Uh, 400,000 attendees were there during the course of the weekend. That's $60 million they made if everybody bought a $150 ticket. Yeah, I, I, I read... I read the equivalent would be, I, I don't know, I didn't do this math myself, but it said the equivalent of that price would be almost $270 today. Yes. Uh, yes. If you look at, had they actually put in place the infrastructure that they really needed to, as far as like, you know, garbage cleanup, you know, proper running water, you know, I mean, obviously you're looking at a festival, you need to have you know a shower area for people to shower for three days. Um, you know, working, you know, I mean, I know they're going to be porta potties, but hey, you know, working toilets. Have any of you guys ever been to a three day festival? No, no, I have. It was a rock festival in Vegas, but you didn't stay there overnight. Okay. Uh, but these well, people would be saying they, they were expected to stay overnight. I mean, the right? comment yeah, I, I was going to make is putting people in tents does yeah. not make them hippies, you know? Right. Like, no. No. Well, I think of, because I used to live close to Bonnaroo, so I think no, of I know Bonnaroo, right? Yeah. Um, now here, not far from here, they have Nova Rock, 
yeah, where you can actually yeah. you can actually rent like little cabins. Um, I tried talking the wife into that. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sorry to interrupt, man, because I was just thinking no, that any of us actually any of us actually had that experience because you're talking about you know making sure that the right infrastructure and logistics were in place. And I was thinking, well, have any of us actually experienced that? We went I'm to sorry. the Mary. We went to the Maryville Fall Festival in Tennessee there one time to see. But Trent. we just went for yeah to see Trey. Um, don't you I know? Me. I know. Uh, Look, I was. I know. That's why I said it. Wasn't making but, fun of you. You know, we, we were only there for one day. But you know, I, I don't know that they had people camping out there per se. I, I don't recall seeing any of it. But you know, they had they had a pretty good infrastructure in place as far as you know. They had parking set up. They had people bussing you in. Um, you know, so it worked pretty well for the. You know, now granted. I'm not comparing the Maryville Fall Festival in Maryville, Tennessee to Woodstock, to Woodstock by any stretch of the imagination. But in you know, but sticking with the producer lens of Aspect, this, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still go back to say I I, I have zero issue with the facility. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. If you just said if decision one find facility, I would have said we're go at the station. Let's move to the next things right yeah i don't think the facility was the problem so much as the infrastructure at well the that's exactly the where they, i'm going yeah, with go it is, is is when i was saying it's it was certain decisions along the way that continued to set the conditions because backing up and staying within the framework of the syllabus if you said producers bands and Attended, attendees, attendees, audience, yeah. all those unto themselves aren't necessarily the problem, right? Right. They, there's a lot to unpack with each one, but it was the it was the setup and then the culmination. Because, I mean, I could see as if if the producer, if you said I've got four hundred thousand people, I, I can't move four hundred thousand people in and out every day, not without some huge logistics in place to facilitate that. If I expect my attendees to be leaving and coming back every day. So you almost kind of take off the board, the traffic aspect, which now leads to everybody's on site, which also means there's no release. There's no right. reset and refresh. You're not showering. Right. You're in well, you have to provide cooker. those facilities. There's no well, escape valve. There's no escape valve, right? So you're right. bottling this thing up from day one. And now, like I said, I kept hearing the asphalt. I get it. It's it's an environmental condition that but, contributed to the heat, but it wasn't the problem unto itself. They, right? they weren't on asphalt when they were at the, you know, the different stages, right? They I think technically they were on concrete, field. but that drove me crazy just because whatever. Well, but they, but yeah, they, they, <laughs> they were on a field at that point, right? They, so they were, they were only on the tarmac, concrete, whatever you want to call it, you know, when they were walking around transitioning between um, different now, facilities. You know, is that hangers? still absorbing heat? Yes, yes. absolutely. And it's got to be dispersed somewhere. Right. You know, when you put, what was it? 250,000 people together in that small of a space, you're going to have body heat <laughs> just uh, right. in and of itself is going to be a problem. Right. Um, but one other thing I think, you know, we should touch on from a producer standpoint, potentially, and we're, we're talking about infrastructure is security. <laughs> the, piece, know, if, the piece, the piece, uh, piece, what was peace it? Patrol. Peace patrol. patrol. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if you talk about a, talk about a crock of shit, right. let's when put a bunch have... of people out in the middle of nowhere, not provide them proper, you know, Training. water or shelter facilities, or whatever, food or and then hire 18 like, year olds, right, right. hire a bunch of 18 year olds, not give them ability to be able to communicate with each other or I don't know, detain people or at least deter people like well, I mean, come there's, on. There's, but from a producer no... mindset, that that still that still focuses on them. They just didn't think that would be a thing. 
Right. right. They wanted, well, they I'm not wanted sure I the thinnest that, but... amount of security to pull the event off is what they wanted. Right. Well, they wanted the thinnest amount of everything to pull the event well, off. Okay, right, right. Right. I, I thought doubt, the one but... gentleman, uh, I could go and find his name. I thought he was hysterical. The peace patrol guy was like, I was 18 years old. I'm wearing this yellow he shirt. He sold his shirt. Somebody sure. comes up to me and goes, What's, what does that get you? He goes, yeah. everything. I can go backstage, whatever. He goes, I'll buy it for 400 He goes, I sold it to him, went to my bag and got another shirt. Look, look. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and, and he and made I'm almost as much selling the shirt as he did getting paid to be there. Did, yes. did, did, was it just me or did that remind us of all of a friend of ours from the yeah. past <laughs> yep. with, with the Brooklyn accent? I'm just going to throw yeah, that same, out Same, same. But yep. yeah, I mean, I think when you have that many people and, and, and I want to say in that small of a space, obviously it's it's an airfield, right? It's it's a it's a big space, but you're putting that many people there. You have to have some sort of and I and I get it, Michael Lang was like, oh, we didn't want the government state, you know, being in there, whatever, you know. But it goes back to you weren't you oh, weren't man. doing the peace, love, and happiness at this some, point. Some right? some some need... of the answers, especially some of the answers that Michael Lang gave, I felt like were rehearsed oh, he rehearsed legal answers. Well, he was a douche, but that what was the other guy? Uh, John Sure. Sure. Man, sure. I think yeah. when I hopped in the call, Grinch was Grinch was uh, giving a sentiment that I wholeheartedly agree with. <laughs> yeah, which was what that guy can do. What Grinch <laughs> rot in a flaming porta potty of hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For eternity, there, there yeah. has to be some. What to some extent, there has to be some true form of security. Okay, maybe they're not the primary security, but you well, you have to have some semblance. Oh, I, I want to say of of adult presence. A for lack of a better officer. Well, well I mean, for lack of a better term, right? When when your when your peace patrol is the same age or younger as, as your, your audience. crowd, that that's just right. not well, going right. to work. Right. I mean, it just it's it, it, it's a bit of beating a dead horse, but it it just the the key takeaways for me as it relates to security is yes, I've been I, I think every concert I've gone to, I haven't had anybody armed. No. In front now there might be local police who are assuredly aware a concert's happening right you know or your emts and others in the event there's an emergency that's all normal i didn't expect and nor i mean i'm almost like thank god there weren't armed security at this thing it was the combination again of factors of i just need some bodies i'll do the bare minimum to give them some kind of training to check a block I just want them loosely keeping this thing on the rails at the, at the least cost possible. And Oh, by the way, because of profits, I'm going to, I'm going to take away all food and water, but ignore drugs in many cases. I know that's every state that probably wasn't literally how bad it was, but then you're going to create this entire ungoverned space throughout the facility of this tent village where God knows what happened. You know, we just have anecdotal reporting of what the numbers were. It was probably worse. Right. So I have a question for you, Grinch, to, to, just to touch on something that you said and clarify it. So you're saying that you would be a proponent of not having any form of armed security guards there. Or are you just saying, you know, because I think I agree with you, right? Like when you're talking about down front in front of the stage, People that are just kind of, you know, holding the crowd back as best they can and pulling people over, right? Th- those don't need to be armed because it's chaos down there. But are you, are you saying there should have been no armed security on site, period? I, I wouldn't have. Okay. I mean, and, well, let's put it this way. Um, not in a position to have a to be forward overrun. function. Maybe you react to like reports of theft 
or assault, and now you have to have actual legal personnel, police in this case, involved. but not there for continued crowd control. Right? They're not. I mean, yes, and we've seen we've seen plenty of events where police are paid overtime to be there. Right. I, right. They're off. By the numbers, it's. I mean, it's a ratio of like thousands to one. You know, it's. They're not. What, what are they really going to do? They're not going to keep event of that size on the rails. That's not what they're there to do. Right. <clears throat> they're there to deal with the one-offs, and just and, by virtue of being well, seen, convey yeah. that there is and a security. That's, I think maybe I, right. I think just because well, let's be honest, there is something. It at no time is a staff of what 150, 250 people in charge of a, a, a crowd of 250,000 plus. Right. It's, it all comes down to mom mentality and mindset and the psychology of the, but, the situation. But the question right? becomes, if you have that presence there, you know, and, and maybe they're not, you know, maybe it's not this huge presence. Is it a, turn, but, but a maybe, deterrent? Is it, does it become a deterrent to, to prevent that mob mentality? No. Well, it, 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 I mean, maybe, I think it can not. in the we, right we circumstances. <laughs> but one might say that the, 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 the performers who are up there performing and inciting certain emotional responses from the crowd might have a responsibility. Well, no, let, me, let, me we'll, back, we'll we'll back up, let me back we'll up the security that. real we'll quick though, and just say, it's a hypothetical question. It's not directed at you, Mac. It would be how many and where would you put them in? And where the larger theory of this to what you were just saying, Haas is, in order to maintain control with, especially with a crowd of that size, you need to make them believe everything is in control. Right. And there will be consequence right. for an And action. that's why, and yeah. And I think that's my thought process is, is they're not necessarily good. You know, look, if 250,000 people turn on you, I, I mean, you just let them burn the place down. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Ultimately that's what happened. Um, that's what they yeah. did. Well, well, could well they I, do? you know, could, could having a presence there and it's all hindsight, right? we'll, we'll never know. What could have having a police presence or, or some sort of a security presence there helped kind of put people back in that mindset of, all right, well, I, I probably shouldn't start tearing this down because there are guys here, you know, that, that are adult figures that are armed and have a legal ability to arrest me. Should I do something like this now? Granted, you know, at the point that it got to, those people were so far gone that they probably weren't thinking that straight anyway, I guess. So. No, but the problem is when, you're, when you position this entire festival as peace, love, and music, placing an armed guard on the premises <laughs> the, 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 the is going to be an issue. The thing that kept rolling through my mind was expectations and accountability. Like, I mean, when I was being raised and the way we raised our kids was making sure they understood the expectations we had of them and then they were going to be held accountable. Well, Neither, neither think- one of those things were prevalent or present here. But I think, like, and I think we'll get to that when we talk about the audience. I hope yes. the the entitlement problem that that, that occurred amongst right. the crowd. So go ahead, Thor. We're, we're back to promote. Keep us on track. So we've discussed the douchebaggery of John Share, Michael Lang, and their approach to this entire thing, where they dropped the ball in terms of who they were bringing to the table in terms of bands and understanding who those bands were, who their base demographic was of fans. Uh, Grinch, I'm going to harken back to what you said. That very frat boy culture that mentality the anger that they brought to the table the rage against the machine the kid rocks and then yeah you can sprinkle in a james brown a jewel a cheryl crow willie nelson. Uh, a willie nelson and hope that it's going to <laughs> you know subdue the crowd but it's not um i'm just not sure the lineup worked for what they wanted to accomplish but it was let's grab the biggest acts of the day pull them all together in one place and we've talked about this way back in season one in our concert versus festival 
debate was there is a benefit to bringing that many bands in a festival. That cross-section allows audiences to see a lot of different music. For bands, it's great because they get to touch audience member, you know, audiences they've never been able to reach before and the hope that they then can expand their own audience base. But the other aspect of this was the vendor approach that promoters brought in and the profiteering. And I know you guys said at the outset, you were talking about, well, they wouldn't let you bring in water. Okay, we had vendors on site. And so they were supposed to pick up the shortfall there, right? Food, water, beer, whatever. Obviously, there was an issue. And by the end of the weekend, so many vendors were out of stock of stuff that other vendors were just charging exorbitant prices because they could afford to. Well, and I think and nobody the, was the, keeping them in check. The, yeah, the big point there was that was all outsourced. So there was no sort right. of regulation or oversight on what was being charged from a festival standpoint, uh, which is a problem, right? I mean, if right. you... If you say going into it, you know, okay, water's going to be $4, plan accordingly, you know, and that's what's charged the whole weekend, then that's fine. But like you said, you know, when when people start running out and it becomes a, you know, supply versus demand, well, it, you know, it, why why wouldn't you, if, if you're if you're in the business of making money, why wouldn't you charge more? It, right. It, and I mean, back to the, the producer um, and organizer, I mean, if you, again, if you looked at it from the broad view, which is what they're supposed to be doing, they're supposed to be at kind of 30,000 feet making the big event happen. And then their staff is working to the details. It, it, it's a simple question. It may, somebody may have asked in the room of said, hey, we've taken all their food. We have this many people who are staying on site multiple days. How many vendors do we have? How, how, what's the headcount they can support? How often are they getting restocked? When does that happen? What happens if we have to do an emergency restock? Like those are the kinds of contingencies and basic thoughts of human care that should have have existed, right? right? Just to pull off an event. And I got the impression though, and Grinch, or anybody can correct me if I'm wrong. I got the impression though that they said, all right, here's our vendors for, you know, food and water. Capitalism. We're do, we're, yeah, we're done with that. We don't care. All right, they we, washed their hands. Guys, Once they guys, passed yeah, the buck, they washed yeah, their you hands. You guys are right done now. with we're done with that at this point. You guys do whatever you want. We've we've hired you. You're the experts. Have at it. And, and the weird thing is, and I don't know how this works, and I can only assume that it is kind of uh, you know, there are no checks and balances for this. But if you if you put on a show like uh Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, right? It say it holds 70,000, you know you can only sell so many seats. Right. If you if you do it here in Tampa at Amelie Arena, you know you can only sell nineteen thousand seats. When you do an outdoor festival, I mean four hundred thousand people, it's unlimited, right? And they're going, oh well. Well, I mean, I have to presume I mean, the fire marshal or some well, government agency emergency has to, services, yeah. right? You have to. They have to give you a number. I would think. I would right? think so. Well, or or do they? Or on the flip side, do you come back and say, well, we sold four hundred thousand tickets. We need you to ramp up for whatever support is required for that. I don't know. You'd hope Maybe that's that where the happen. ball was dropped. Yeah, right. You'd hope that would happen. But my guess is, the, and I've never done this, so I may be 100% wrong, is what they did was they opened up, um, we'll call it contracts, to be bid on for, for spaces. Right. Right. And so that contractor probably paid up front to get the space, and then it was all how much profit could they squeeze out 
over and above what they paid to get the, the spot. Right. right. So from their yeah. perspective, the calculus wasn't about, I've got to feed this many. It was, if How I sell this I much, I make this much. Right. right. And, and if I sell above and beyond that, right. then I, that's just straight money. They're just or, looking or, at profit margins let's, at that right. point. It's not, yeah. let's not say sell. If I charge this much, charge. Okay, they were yeah, because they weren't worried about how much they sold. They were worried about what they could charge. Right. Well, to, I mean, uh, it's, it's a math money. problem. But right? yeah, it's still exactly. a math problem at the end. And, of the day. and what did Max say in episode one of season three? Math is math, right? Yeah. But can what matters that? is criteria <laughs> to form that equation. Just saying. Um, Max, all right. Like, so what? look, <laughs> I don't remember saying that. that well, I, like but I'll take it. Say. <laughs> That sounds so, too smart. So we've yeah we've looked at the from the promoter's perspective we have we have looked at the infrastructure we've looked at you know booking the bands we've looked at the vendors all of those things in terms of where they drop the ball, and and they refuse to be culpable for any of responsibility. I mean they were passing the buck whether it was the asphalt aspect whether it was the audience aspect it was the band aspect you know. Even the vendors that they hired, oh, well, it was a vendor aspect. Yeah, fucker, you vetted them, you hired them. Clearly, there should have been. Or whether it was the Peace Patrol and the failure there. So let's move on. Can we just say real quick, too? Real quick. If you looked at the setting of those two when they did their interviews, did anybody get the sense they're hurting financially? No, no. No, in fact, it occurred to me multiple (laughs) times how well off they are. Yeah, Probably mostly from that concert. Michael Lang's not doing quite as well anymore. Well, he's dead. Well, no, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Shortly after the documentary. I I think three months, they said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so we've looked at that. So let's get to... Uh, uh, situation number two, and, and maybe this will be a debate because, you know, Haas, you did come out of the gate with this one. And let's look at the artists that were hired <clears throat> to perform. And by all accounts, it's one hell of a list in terms of who they look, got for their big name bands. Here's here's the most important takeaway. And I think I've said it once already, right? I don't think anybody's going to argue with the lineup they put together. They put together an amazing lineup. They did. Um, it, what they it, didn't put together, what supposedly is the yeah, theme, what they right? did not put together was a Woodstock lineup. Right. Yeah. That, that's, it, I mean, to me, that's, else. yeah, you call it rock fest, you call it, <laughs> you know, Grinch's two day rock weekend. I don't yeah. care what you call it, but you can't call it Woodstock because that's not what those bands, you know, that's not what they're promoting. Right now. And, and, you know, so we're aware there was an East stage and a West stage on the property. The East stage was considered the main stage. And then there was a hangar uh, where they, where they had the rave hangar. So they were going all night, which is another factor. When you think from a promotional standpoint, you're going all day. Oh, and by the way, we've got a rave hangar that's going to go all night. So you don't have to sleep if you don't want to. Well, I think we can touch on that when we hit the uh, the attendees and you know, yes, all that because that that definitely impacts the way they behaved. Right. So I'm just looking at the East stage. The East stage was con- considered the main stage. So any band that they brought in, if you're playing the East stage, right, that is the main stage. So Friday opening with James Brown. Now again, we're talking 1999, right? So James Brown, maybe a little out of his element in terms of. <laughs> the audience he's playing to, but a big name, but live. But that's the point of a festival, as we mentioned, right? Is bringing in those additional acts that you may not know. Right. You had live DMX, Bush, Sheryl Crow, Corn, The Offspring. Those were on the East Stage on Friday night, Saturday night. Counting Crows, Alanis Morissette, Metallica, Limp Biscuit, Dave Matthews Band, Kid Rock, Rage Against the Machine, and and if you listen to our episode last week, you already know Metallica and Dave Matthews two of the top six best-selling concert artists of all time. And they were both playing the, the main stage on Saturday night. 
And then, of course, closing out on Sunday, Willie Nelson, Everlast, Jewel, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Creed. Uh, you know, Haas, on the West stage, Seven Dust played on Sunday night. You know, so uh, for us, Rusted Root, Mike Ness from Social Distortion, Our Lady Peace, Collective Soul. I mean, they had a shit ton of bands. But the argument here to be made by the promoters was when shit started to go sideways, Friday, you had your issues. Corn took the stage. Corn was not the closer on Friday night, surprisingly enough. They were actually a fairly early act in the evening. But when they took the stage, the, the energy, the angst, the anger that the crowd kind of let out was kind of second to none. And Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of Corn, was interviewed and he said, it was fucking phenomenal. He goes, I was just wiped out at the end of my set. Well, as an yeah. artist, yeah. If you go out there yes. and you see 250,000 people staring back at you. Just waves and, of motion. And, and, you know, they made a comment when they were talking about Limp Biscuit, where, you know, you're guiding 250,000 people. And they're doing, you know, what they, what you tell them to do, you're moving them, you know, that, that's got to be just, I mean, it's almost godlike. Right. Right. And Which means don't you it. have some responsibility to maintain crowd control? <laughs> and no, I don't, and, and, and you do. I don't think that you do. And I'll say this because that's not your job. Your job is to put on now. Okay, okay. And, and, and hold on, hold on. I know where you're going. Your job is best performance that no, you're possibly no. supposed to give to the crowd. Yes, but those things aren't mutually exclusive. Why can't you put on the best performance that you're there to put on because and not incite riotal behavior? Because you're if a you method band, band, you're yeah, committed to bands, your craft. Man, that's what they do. Did you say method band or method? You're band? a method band. Method you're band. a method. <laughs> We're trying to get Fucker. the best I knew, out God, of them. I knew this that's shit it. was going to come back. Always coming back to haunt you. God damn it, you motherfucker. But but yeah, they their, take the their job is to put on the best Touché, show sir. that they can Touché. put on, because if right. they don't do that, the fans are going to be upset and feel like they were slighted. And let's be honest. You're looking at, you know, Kid Rock, Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit, Corn, you know, and, and Jonathan Davis. And I don't know a lot about him, but the other two guys are fucking asshats. You know, okay, like, you, I if, happen to love you, Limp Biscuit, So, I, I mean, I'll make the argument right now. I, I'm a big on, fan. No, no, no. I didn't say that I didn't like him. I just said Fred Durst was an asshat. Okay, big difference. <laughs> yeah, okay. as I was like, can and you, I don't can think you anybody would argue against that, that. because I don't exactly. Think but if if you're relying on them to be your voice of reason, you've lost control already. Bro, already. I'm not saying you rely on them. I'm saying that again, it comes down to expectations and accountability. And as the fault and the blame doesn't lie squarely on the shoulders of Fred Durst or Limp Biscuit, right? I agree with that. That's where they want what to put I'm, it. But yeah. What I'm saying is, is they do bear some responsibility, Fred Durst right. in particular, right? Because you, when you're controlling a mob, when you're controlling a mob, and you and you and you're the and you're the Pied Piper, and you have that ability, when you lead that, when you leave that mob into you know incital riot mob mentality, um, hello, okay, legally speaking, causation right? Links of a chain, right? If you are the closest link of causation to that event, you bear responsibility, legally speaking. Look, okay. at the end of the day, the only time you can put legal and Fred Durst in the same sentence is if you're talking about taking his mugshot. Oh, he's yeah, not he's smart trouble, enough, right? He's not smart enough to think about that, anything that like that. True. But I think that was just a lack of understanding from the promoters about who they brought to the table. That's it. Yeah. Well, you, you did not put the, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. This was not a peace, love and happiness festival. No. If, 
if you wanted to have a fucking rock show, which I think, you know, we all would have enjoyed. Right. You, you, this was the lineup for you. Right. But this if was, if you were not, trying to tout peace, love and music, this, this didn't yeah. work. And, and to say, you know, we can't figure out why there was a mosh pit, you know, well, because you brought on bands that, you know, generate That's mosh pits. what they do. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. I, I think it, a majority of the responsibility falls on the, on the shoulders of the promoters. hundred percent. But I think with the bands is where I thought the Netflix special did a really it, it did a good job of connecting with the culture of the time. Mm-hmm. and the anger that existed within that demographic. And then you, you add, well, we already talked about pressure cookers there. There's no release. They're amped, right? I mean, we've all been amped. We know what oh, it's yeah. like when we're stoked to see a band and you go into it ready to just go freaking bananas and run through a wall figuratively. The key question of all of this is what got them to literally start running through walls and tearing down walls. Now to me with the bands, I I do subscribe to the view of, I wonder on the one hand, you know, they were in their own area. So I don't know how in tune to the the conditions. Now you feel the energy of a crowd, right? I can only imagine how empowering that is to just get on that stage. And I think what's her name from MTV talked about. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Where where you were able to, you know, and I think they called it an orchestra, you know, you were conducting them. That's a dog. So, but but, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you don't become a rock star if you have those kinds of breaks necessarily to go. I know I can just, just bring it. Right. Or, well, I'd rather go down in history as the guy who knew when to pump the brakes. So back to the, you knew what they were or, or you didn't, right. Or you didn't know what they were. And then you put them on the stage with all these conditions and power. And then you act shocked when it happened. That was the issue I took. And then in the HBO special, Moby fucking pissed me off. He pissed me off oh, by saying, Oh, oh, the troglodytes. Right. He's using his 50 cent did, words. Did you, did you expect I, anything different from Moby, He was upset though? that his name wasn't on the artist board. He didn't yeah, get to sign the board. Well, too. it's interesting. You know, I was reflecting on what Duke talked to us about uh, when we said we don't understand how otherwise intelligent people can behave in such a way or vote for someone. And he said, in response to that, I've learned in my years, people always do something for a reason, even if we don't know what it is but understanding it is, is important. I still don't know, like we have the benefit of hindsight, but I still don't know if we truly understood that anger that existed out in that crowd. Other than let's just say, if you stripped away all the details and said, I'm going to give you a hypothetical, you take a college kid who probably doesn't have a ton of money, who loves these bands, who's been out in the heat for multiple days, put in animalistic conditions and then you wonder why he acts like an animal. That's what I'm saying. Right. Multiple but times, the- multiple times the documentary Lord of the Flies was mentioned. Multiple times. And every single time I went, uh, nail head, nice to meet. Right? Because that's, that's exactly only because what I it just was. read that book in high school. Yeah, maybe, right? maybe, so, maybe, or maybe not. But I mean, I think, I think it rings true I think what Grinch is saying. 
I think an important aspect, and maybe I missed this, you know, and Thor, you mentioned, you know, us being of kind of that age, you know, what, what was the reason for the anger, right? You had the anger in the music. You had the anger in, you know, the crowd, you know, of the time, you know, and they said, you know, oh, well, you know, it was just, you know, it was the frat boy mentality. It was the anger. It was this. Why? I, I don't, you know, and I'm trying to think back of what was going on that, that just made everybody so angry and, and feel the need to to do that. Well, I, and, I and think uh, I, I don't know. The one VJ that was on there, I think she brought it up. I mean, back then, white college males, the demographic primarily that was listening to this music, had a certain sense of entitlement. Well, I mean, you take the sense of entitlement we that, that white males right. have now, and you roll that back twenty something years. I mean, you amplify it greatly. That makes sense. And and it came out in a more maybe Impressive. grassroots level of more primal because they were in a primal environment. They okay. had been brought down to their base, you know. We're we're getting into audience. That's next. We are. Yeah, let's go back to bands. But but again, that there is there is some crossover there, right? Because when the band comes on, they're playing to their base. That audience is their base. So obviously, we're right. going to talk clearly, about those things. Well, yeah, I, clearly, I, most but, of those fans were not there to watch in my or Cheryl. No. They were there Venn, for corn. My Venn diagram, yes. of connecting the bands to the audience was those bands brought that audience, right? right. And and. Like anything, if you looked at the crowd and said, if you listen to Korn's lyrics of like the song, like Thoughtless was in particular, I was thinking about of like, why the fuck are you making fun of me? What the fuck you think you're doing to me? You know, like of being picked on. Those right. are the people who probably did the picking on that were yes. suddenly using that to justify what they were doing. But that whole band, that whole new metal movement was about being frustrated and angry at everything they saw because they did a lot of time talking about if you looked at the charts, it was so weird on TRL, which we know, you know, back to the MTV, thanks for 11 years of music. (laughs) Headbangers Ball had been relegated to what, like an hour or two? On like a fucking Friday night at whatever time or whatever. Like three in the morning. Yeah, it was it was Saturday. <laughs> but Saturday all night. day long, you get this this pop shit jammed down your face, and then oh by the way, you know, corn is bumped out of the number one spot by Britney Spears and Insane. But but there's a reason right. for that though. Right? Which by I mean, the way, the pop it's... bands aren't still around and touring, but yet the rock and roll bands are right. The metal bands are. Just you saying. You... You always you're you're never going to go broke catering to the lowest common denominator. That's why boy bands always. Right. I mean, because that, there's five people. There's one that there's one person that goes to every different group. You've got the sporty person. You've got the metal person. You think of the Spice Girls. This, well, <laughs> no, the, 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 but well, the point being, the Spice Girls just fucking called it out, right? I mean, they just said, you know, this is sporty. This is posh. This is this. this is they didn't right. make any bones about it, right? But that's why those kind of bands, you know, end up at the top of the charts because they kind of appeal to everybody or, or a much larger base. Right. I mean, one I of the things say- I wanted to cycle back to, Grinch, sorry, I, I did no, want to no, cycle back before I forget, is making the connection between the, the bands and the audience is the artist compound. And when you see the documentary and they talk about the artist compound, they were flying in chefs and they were doing all day barbecues for the artists. They weren't paying a dime for anything, right? They had been brought in to perform. And then you jump the fence to the audience side where they're paying exorbitant prices, no water, their fucking porta potty facilities are overflowing, pipes are broken, people are walking around in mud with shit and piss. And it's like, 
that that it's almost classism right there going on one side of the fence you got this and on the other side of the fence you've got these artists walking around and they're getting everything handed to them and and, and is, that anything, is that anything different than well, any I, other I was gonna concert, say the same though, thing right? it's like no, a metaphor why not. all the it's a metaphor and, and let's not. be honest the, the the pipes broken and this and that was a result of the people that did it right the, the, uh, no the, i'm not the, saying the producers that it's didn't any different break those pipes they didn't come down there the the audience did that I'm saying there is clearly there was a disconnect here, and that same disconnect exists in every concert environment because you always play up to your artists. They're there to perform. That's why you brought them. That's why you paid for them because they sell tickets. The name sells tickets. You bring people in. Of course, there's a disconnect. I was just the fact that they brought it up in this documentary to showcase that the artist compound, you know, there was clean water, everything was provided for them. And then you just very quickly step across the fence and they're showing you this very animalistic, primal Lord of the Flies situation. And it is a massive contrast right there in this one area. But I, I guess the question I would have, and, and so it's the band's fault, here with... clearly. Okay. Question answered. <laughs> Thank you. Awkward. I'm trying to be professional here and Go not for argue it. with you. I appreciate it. Go. Um, at what point, and, and I know we're going to talk, touch on this, right? You know, the water was there, the facilities were there to some extent, maybe maybe not where the, they needed the, to be. Well, the but key is the, to some extent, the pipes didn't break themselves. Well, that's my me, point, right? I would say it this way what was provided wasn't adequate. Was inadequate, right? That is the key problem. Yeah. Not that the pipes got broken, but but breaking it the pipes and, and destroying this and throwing trash it, everywhere but doesn't make it, it any better. It, you're right. It just exacerbated the problem. Right. And and you would look at most anyone and say, common sense tells me it's in our collective interest not to break that pipe. And there was no common and, sense, and, you know. In any and there was bathe right? in the fucking water troughs that oh are meant for drinking water. Yeah, right, common yeah. sense. Uh, and Here's, they do. They interviewed Joel Patterson, who was the public health inspector, and his team was required to come in and test the waters every day. Oh, yeah. And very quickly, it was like, this water's not safe. But what can they do uh, You know, at that point? It's like I, shit's I mean, growing in these bacteria. What growing. I would say, if, like, if I were in charge of the thing, you have an emergency meeting of the staff that's involved in pulling that off, down. and you fucking fix it. Right. You fix it. And, well, and I mean, maybe you got to contracts. Yeah. Maybe you got to say, "I've got to get the porta potties coming here round round the clock." Yeah. What do I got to right. do did, to make that did, happen? That's a great point, Chris. Did anyone else get the feeling when they were watching this, they were like multiple levels at multiple levels. People were just like, "Nah, give the fuck up. I'm done." Like yeah. things break, fix them. Right. But it right. seemed like that never happened. Like no one ever said, hey, you know what? Except for that poor one woman who got into oh, a cart was, yeah. and was trying to put a, a, a Band-Aid on a butthole by going around handing people trash bags. And I understand that one person's response of, I paid $150 Why am I to be picking here. up trash? Why am I cleaning up? Why am yeah. I going to spend my weekend cleaning up trash when I paid my hard-earned money to be here? I also get the other side where, you know, do your part and clean up. If everyone does their part and cleans up their area, we're helping fix the problem, course correct the issue. I get that. But the problem still stands, which is, I feel like on multiple levels, people just gave up. And they said, fuck it. Five five people aren't going to make a difference unless you have all, you know, well well over half of the people do, you know, chipping in and doing that, then, you know, what am I going to do? Right. And picking up trash. I can only pick up so much. Yeah, sorry, Mac. I didn't mean to no, keep stuttering over the top of you, but I mean that's the human nature part of this. Of the, well, we got through day one, right? I can get through another day of this. And we saw by day three there were some people like, Mm-mm, 
They're nope. leaving. Yeah, we're know? done. But that was, I mean, in probably in truth, it, 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 I would have been the same way of like, okay, this was not what I expected, but freaking we're here. We paid. Let's see how tomorrow goes. Oh, no. I see. Yeah, get better by right? day two, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have been a day three tap out yeah. based on the lineup because I would have wanted you're to a better seal, man you know? than me, right? right? <laughs> yeah, and that individual you're referring to, to <laughs> that individual you're referring to, Haas was Lisa Law, who coincidentally was at Woodstock '69. So yes, I mean, she, she was, watched she? Woodstock '69, and now she's watching 30 years later this debacle. And hey. I think that that was one of the reasons she was just like, you know, let's do something about it. Let's go out and give trash bags. Let's have these people kind of embrace that peace, love, and music. And and I think she very quickly was like, this is not 1969's Woodstock. This yeah, is a correct whole me if I'm wrong. different. I, I think her daughter was part of the uh, Pillar Law. Mm, she was my production Lang's assistant. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, that, that's kind of interesting to see. I, I the, mean, the tie in there we always like clean answers and sometimes they're there. But in this case, in my opinion, the producers had cast the die and that's sort of where they stood for the remainder of the three days. It's like, this thing is underway. And and they did no corrective action other than they said, okay, somebody came out and spoke to Fred Durst during his performance. I don't know that I saw an either documentary Anything else that was done to make things better, it no. just kept going with think, these conditions, and the bands are the face of it. And I kind of, I, I, I want to believe, like I said, that you know, when you see a crisis, but I don't know that any of them necessarily flat out saw the crisis and said, "I'm going to try and make it worse." Well, I mean, and come on, even though. Even the one guy was like, "You saw, you saw Fred Durst's id, ego, and super ego in play, right? Like right. you could see clearly Fighting see with that. each other, right?" And I mean, come on, again, I, I don't believe Fred Durst or Limp Biscuit holds full responsibility here. I agree with you guys that the, that the uh, promoters of the show they are ultimately in charge of how this plays out. But if you purposefully or intentionally, you know, intentionally set forward motions that lead to, you know. Fel- felonious acts i mean come on how, how can you not be how can you not be held culpable yeah the problem you've got hoss is you're you're expecting a normal decent human being to be on that stage leading that band you had limp biscuit that, that, that would do that right because yeah if you put any one of us up there i think we have the rationale behind you know enough to say all right well you know and, and you know they kind of touched on it you know and again these are both documentaries. They are slided to one side. You're getting, you know, a narrow view of what happened. You know, they they, they talked to it was Gavin Rosdale or you know Gavin Rosdale from Bush. You know, with Bush, you know, having to come on after Corn and be able to calm everybody down. You know, I, I I feel like you know he seemed like he had the wherewithal to say, okay, we need to bring this down. You know, now and granted. His band, you know, Bush was not the same level that Corner Lent Biscuit was. That was not their style. So it was a little bit easier. But, you know, when you're asking people like Fred Durst or, or, or you know, Kid Rock to be your moral compass, you've already lost at that point. No, no. <laughs> what mean, I'm asking, you know, what I'm asking is a paid professional who is at that time my employee to do what I tell them to do, which is get this crowd back under control before she gets out of hand right. and people yeah. get hurt. Right. And the, that's the what problem, the problem you have, and you said it yourself, and I'm going to throw you, you said professional. 
Yeah, they are. And neither fire neither, fire neither, neither of those people. They are they're artists, but they are not professional. Like, by by the, that, you know, if you want to use the loose term, sure, they're a professional at their job because they're getting paid for it. But as a well human being, they are not by, professional. By, by monetary well, standards, they're professional. And, and but I mean, if we if we distill this down to human nature, which is what was really in play. All right. So if I put myself in John Shear's perspective in his headspace, I have orchestrated the event. I have booked these huge bands. I have, I have given you the venue and the stage and a bigger audience you probably ever had in your life. That's I'm, I'm, I would imagine that's how he thinks of it. And I, and I get that, but then you put yourself in the head of, of a limb biscuit and you go, I have never had a crowd this big. Right. This is my chance to mark history with one of the most epic concerts that have ever happened. He did. To I some don't. Extent. Well, and I don't know. I, I don't. I know there's some interviews and other stuff that are floating out there. And I found it interesting in the Hulu concert when Limp Biscuit performed it at Lollapalooza. He says before they sing break stuff, this isn't Woodstock 99. Fuck all that bullshit. Well, I thought that was a curious thing given where we are, but it, I, it's, and this is why I say, like, if you look at these train wrecks in history, it's all independent decisions that led to a moment. They aren't, they aren't one necessarily absolutely dictated what followed. It was an independent decision by an, a, a, an artist that had already been decided to be on that stage. And then they just decided to be who they were. Right. Cause yeah, I think and, if they had not been, if you're in the audience, you're like, well, what the fuck? You know, what did I just pay for? Yeah. I, I, mean, I think it was interesting though, to see that, you know, it, it, at least in the interview on the Netflix version, when they, when they kind of grab Fred Durst coming off of state off the stage, you know, and they ask him a couple of questions. And I think the second question basically leads him to the point of, it's not our you know, fault. Of, it's not our fault. It was immediately where he went. Well, right? That's funny like, because as a, ge- as, dude, a, as a guilty individual, that'd be your first fucking never response. Never Yeah. Well, I mean, Jonathan <laughs> yeah. Davis said when he left the stage, he collapsed and had to get IVs because he gave right. it everything he had. Look, and at the end of the day, you know, and I don't know if it's accurate or not or how everything kind of fell out, but I guess in the documentary, they said, you know, we pulled Fred aside and said, hey, can you help bring the crowd down? Now, the way they cut it in the documentary is he comes back out and they roll right into break stuff. And he even talks about, I know you you may have people problems, job problems, boss problems, me problem. Let take all that rage and let it out. And they roll right into that song. Whether or not that's actually how it occurred in that order, who the fuck knows? But Mac, as you're saying, that's the guy you're you're allowing on the stage. You've given him the megaphone. You're asking him to control the crowd. And all he did was be who he was. You know, you wouldn't say the same thing about Anthony Kiedis and Red Hot Chili Peppers on Sunday night. But when shit started to devolve and he was pulled aside and asked, can you help calm the crowd down? What did they come out and play? And the fires had already broken out in the audience. They played yeah. fucking fire by. Yeah. Which was such a dumb, like, I don't Jimmy know Hendrix. how you even, how do you let that happen, man? But he's not a Bradley new metal. Stopping. They're not a new metal genre band. You know, they don't have a lot of anger and angst in the same way that you would kind of position Corn. Kid Rock and Limp Biscuit, yet they didn't come out and do anything to bring the crowd down. But how I'm do not you, saying I it's mean, their fault. I think the question is, how do you bring a crowd down at that point, right? You can't. I mean, you 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 cannot control them. I, I, really, I, well, you I'm know. Saying, but, but hold on, hold on. You may not be able to bring them down necessarily, and I and I could probably disagree with you on that. But I'll tell you what you can do. 
does not continue to incite them. Right. Well, I, I was going to say you try and steer it. Now, again, hindsight, right? I mean, yeah. you're Fred Durst, you're emotional. I've never had that many people looking at me, expecting me to be the center of their, I, yeah. I don't know what that's like, but I could, I could foresee if you said you got all this anger, you got all this blah, 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 blah. It's time to let that shit out. But let's be respectful for the people that help put this on. Right. Let it out. You know, like some simple sentence like that, or some couple of sentences related to, do you think let's take care of each other or whatever, but that just simply wasn't said now in maturity. I mean, think about the early days of Slipknot and probably what their concerts were like. And there was a, there's a clip where I, I think, it, it might be Corey Taylor. I missed where he actually said it. I think it was another band performing with them at a, at an event, but this was on the heels of the Astro world. Uh, the Travis Scott concert, mm-hmm. the trampoline. Right. And he says, look, we get out there, we get after it. But at the end of the day, we love each other. And if somebody falls down, you pick them the fuck up. That recentered the collective mind of that, that mob, right. Or that, that audience to just maybe snap them back a little bit to go. We're not animals. No, but then slip around being brings around me, you know? Right. But none of that happened. But, right. Well, and I think the other, I think the important thing to note to, to touch on what you just said, how do you convince them that they're not animals when you're treating them like animals from the promoters, you know, the promoters right? perspective, the, the, you know, the facilities, you can't say well, we're going to put you in shit mud, but you know you guys are all classy people. But be it's respectful. Right. Eight thousand yeah. percent agree. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So you know what? With that being said, Mac, thank you for the transition. We've talked about the promoters. We've talked about the bands. Let's move to the animals, the audience, the four hundred thousand. Uh, by and large, the frat boy mentality that showed up on that weekend in uh, upstate New York, and so you know. What is their level of culpability from walking through the gate on Friday? You might say, you know, well, they showed up, they, they did what they should have. They bought their tickets, they brought their camping gear, their water, the things that they were supposed to, but then some of that was confiscated at the door. So, you know, they walk through the gates thinking, okay, going to still try to have a good weekend. There are vendors here. I can buy food. I can buy water. I can buy beer. Clearly drugs were available. There are porta potties. There's campgrounds. There's a hangar for a rave, two main stages. I mean, the stage pun intended, but the stage is set for a good weekend. And then clearly shit went sideways and they reacted how they thought they were supposed to react. Yeah. Each and every one of them. Well, I shouldn't say each and every one of them, because I'm sure, you know, it's a percentage, right? Not everybody, you know, acted the same. Um, I don't think it was the, the select few that the promoters wanted you to believe. 50 of them, 400,000. I think it was a much larger a larger portion than that, they are absolutely should be held accountable. Right. Um, Because I I don't care, you know, okay, fine. You're in, you know, filth and facilities and this and that, and you're getting overcharged. It does not give you the right to start destroying property. It's just, that's the way I feel about it. You know, you, you guys can feel otherwise, but it does not justify you being able to, to just do whatever the fuck you want to do and not care. Yeah, 
I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I, I got to tell you, I mean, it's not like it should surprise anybody, right? I mean, when you take young people that are filled with angst and disappointment and rage, and we've all been there, and we were, I mean, we were those people at that, that time. Why, though? Again, I want to ask that question. I asked, myself, I asked myself when I was watching this, if I had been there, would I have participated? I mean, I, I'd like to think I have a, a strong moral compass, and I was raised well, and I asked myself, well, would I have been one of those people that would have been so pissed off and frustrated that I would have behaved in that way? I mean, obviously, there's certain lines I know I will never cross. But I wonder if some of the, I mean. I've seen you angry. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the angst. I, I mean, yeah. And, and that's Especially at that age. At is, exactly. And, I, and I'm not saying that I'm not beyond reproach when it comes to what. And so I, I, when I'm judging these people. And their actions, I'm thinking to myself, can I, can I understand? I can 100% understand where they were coming from. I'm, I'm not sure that I, had, I have it within my soul to go the distance that some of these folks went. Because I've never been in a war zone. And quite frankly, I was a little offended and kind of taken back by the over-dramatization of it. I mean, there's only one of us here that I yeah. imagine could attest to what that's like. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's, that's a bit far-reaching uh, from, from, a, from a reporting standpoint. But I mean, I have to just be honest, when I, when you look at the pictures and you look at the video, you think to yourself, I mean, if I didn't know any better and I was putting in a bubble, I could see where someone might think that was a war zone. Yeah. And I'm not going to ask Grinch if it if it was comparative to a war zone, because you're not actively, nobody's actively trying to take it answer, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I always, you know, just kind of smirk when I hear those comparisons, because I mean, I, it's like, I understand in the vernacular where that comes from, you know, things just destroyed, but at the same time, I'm like, there's just so much it's, different, right? I mean, nobody was in there thinking they were going to get shelled or right, that right. the enemy was coming to the wire, right? <laughs> Grinch is but, like, know, I've been in a war zone and we had running water and yeah, we had so, TV and <laughs> we, we had it much better than Woodstock 99. We, yeah. 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 We had showers. We didn't have shit. Yeah. Mind. yeah. Uh, it, I mean, to me. I, I, it starts like, you know, I don't like people broadly. I think they kind of suck, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, if again, you put them in these conditions and I've, and I'll continue to say, if you treat like pe people, like animals, they're going to act like it and you shouldn't be surprised. And I do believe that happened. And I also believe from the onset they were seen as a source of revenue and not as human beings right, in terms of the care there were some basic and sometimes legally required things in place to make the event go but beyond that nobody was in the mix with their finger on the pulse that was in a position to do something about it to say like look let's we're going to postpone or we're going to hold this band in place while we address the crowd we're going to have somebody out. We're going to talk to them about what we're going to fix, you know, and I know it's only three days. It's hard to fix really big problems in that amount of time. I get it. But when you, when you do nothing, this crowd has nothing to direct its, its anger towards. So it was like this faceless thing behind walls that had in their mind set the conditions for why things were so bad. And I still say like that whole, I, I, it's like I get it in the sense of they were trying to find a cultural connection to why everybody was so angry. But at the same time, if I were in the room, you know, with someone, I'd be like, what the fuck are you so angry about? 
That's it, right? And that's, I mean, that was the question right. I asked, right? Why, you know, like, where, where was wh- all this anger coming from? It's the same. It's kind of the same thing I feel about, and I and I want to try to understand it now because ever since Duke has said what he said about understanding, like I think it's an important question. But it's it. I, I just keep coming back to what were you so angry about? Did what, do you what, think? What did you think this was going to accomplish? But then you see race riots and you see other things. It's a release of energy. Do you think, though, Grinch, that this was, I, I, I guess the anger was because they felt like they were entitled to something that they were not getting, right? You know, we, we heard that term, you know, we heard that term a lot, right? And, well, and we heard it a lot during that show, was, was entitled. Yeah. And, and, and so they felt like, I'm entitled to these specific things, and they're not there. Well, and I think and, and because that. of that, I'm going to riot now. Yeah, Grinch did touch on that. They were entitled. They were entitled to proper drinking water and clean bathrooms and abilities to be able to shower and, you know, uh, to be able to protect themselves from the element. And they expected they were going to get, you know, first aid and care and attendance. Yeah, there were a lot of things that they, they should have been entitled to and they should have expected they should have been entitled to. I think the problem was is not only were they not getting those, but then they were feeling entitled to other things that they most assuredly should not have been felt entitled right. to. Right. And, like, gro- and like groping women or raping women or accosting women or, you know, some of those more primal um, and, behaviors. And that was one of and the it's things interesting. that was brought forth in both documentaries was the level of nudity there was kind of unprecedented. People were just walking around naked. And so that level of entitlement mm-hmm. very quickly cropped up was that, oh, well, if you're walking around naked, that kind of gives me open invitation to do what I want, which most assuredly it does not. And it's yeah, I think we can be- all we can all confirm that based on walking 100%. around our house. <laughs> well, it, it, and it, what's it, frustrating is we are that age demographic of that time frame, right? And so to get, we, um, I think I would say we're a little bit older though. I we're think. not twenty three. No, 24. we were right. We were, we were right was in the, the demographic. We were right. Yeah. In the Is that really fact, the de- okay? Someone. I was thinking yeah. the demographic. We for them we, a little bit we know someone okay. that we graduated with who went to Woodstock ninety nine. No, they said in the, in both documentaries they talked about anywhere between twenty two and twenty four was the base demographic for that festival. I had just turned twenty three. You all had yeah, been twenty three, going on twenty four. So we were the ideal demographic targeted for that show. I was just trying to tee that up so that you could prove you were the youngest of the group again. That's I am. All me, that whole thing. Was I appreciate it. I, I, I don't yeah, need yeah, your help. Not, I will not, come. not 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 according to that Waffle House waitress though. No, I, I said youngest, yeah. not youngest looking. That's right. Um, I uh, I mean, but I, I am. But thanks, I, you know. You know the 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 showing the you know girls gone wild, which I understand was a thing at the time. Showing the clip of. Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. I was like, oh, but it's like they were trying to justify. I'm not sure I understand what we're doing here. Yeah. Um. I just, I, I, I felt like they were trying to like carte blanche make a statement about toxic masculinity before that was really a a defined term. And maybe I don't know. I would just need to hear more. Like, tell me really why you think that was the underlying problem in all this. And I think it's interesting to see because you see, you know, you, you hear all about this whole Me Too movement and everything. And like, I'm not trying to downplay it by any stretch of the imagination, but you can look at this and certainly look at it and say, okay, well, I can see where we've swung all the way, you know, to the maybe to the polar extreme to some extent of, of trying to course correct. Yeah. Hey, I just, Haas is coming back in. <laughs> Haas and Haas. Yeah. I, I just, day. I don't know. I mean, 
it, it was I didn't think it was well explained or maybe it was like right. you're just supposed to get it. And I I, I did it. Maybe somebody would go exactly. And it's not that I'm not trying. I'm just it, it was it was a factor. OK. And you assembled a lot of people that were of similar mind, it appeared. And I, I mean, I'll go out on a crazy limb here and say that's how you get a capital riot. You know, you orchestrate a group in such a way. Now, I don't think it was preordained in this case. I think, you know, the Capitol riot had more machinations behind the scenes to set those e- conditions. Easy now. Let's uh, stay in right. our lane. <laughs> but with this concert, it, it, yeah, you just put a lot of like-minded people that started to feed off each other. And there weren't, I would still be curious to know what percentage really did all the damage. If yeah, you you'll said 400,000 well, people were there. Yeah, I'd like to just know what the what the breakdown was as far as, you know, white males, white females, you know, minorities, you know, what, what was that? What did that look like as well? I, I mean, literally a thousand people could have made it look that bad or less. Right. Well, when you when you say 10 percent, 10 percent is next to nothing in terms of the, the majority. Right. But that's still 40,000 people is 10%. And you go 10%, that seems like such a small percentage. Yeah, but it's 40,000 fucking people if it, that were the number. Well, that was like, what, what did, is it John Shearer? John Sher. Sher, when he was like, well, you know, 400,000 people is like the size of a city. And like, what's four rapes, you know, four rapes in a, in a, in a, in a city of that size is like, that's statistically normal. Think, and I'm like, I don't think we need to harp on what a douchebag that the guy point, was. <laughs> I mean, and, that, and that's that statement is what continued to solidify in my mind. He just saw it as a source of revenue where he needs to that be man who sleeps perfectly well at night. Yeah, he does. And his, you know, $10,000 Tempur-Pedic bed. Um, I, I mean, and in some cases, like, I mean, I get you've paid the money, but that doesn't entitle you to do what you did. It yep. doesn't. Well, and yep. I think I think the biggest problem I have with some of the entitlement was okay, fine. You paid this money. You feel like you're not getting the, you know, things that you're entitled to as far as, you know, running water, you know, food, this, that, and the other. But you look at, you know, the, the reported, you know, gropings and rapes that happened. None of that should have had anything to do with the promoters. Agreed. That, that uh, you know, in my mind what? should have never happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I agree. You didn't think I was going down the path of saying that was okay, did you? Uh, no, not not that it was okay. <laughs> if I did, but, I but worried no, that completely. No, no, I had to digest no, the I know you for better second. than that. I didn't think you. Were, I didn't think you were going in that direction at all. No, okay, no, good. No, no. Please don't misunderstand. I, I I think way more of you than that, sir. Um, well, that's your fault, sir. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll and I'll bear that responsibility down the line. Yeah, I just I think you know, I, I, you have to look at it from two perspectives, right? I, I can. I want to almost say somewhat understand and justify the anger to the production company and and the festival itself. Um, I'm not saying it was right, but then you look at the other flip side of, you know, how they treated, you know, the women and everything, which again, you know, was, was part of what, you know, that's why we're talking about. It was part of what was brought up in the documentary. There was no reason for that whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, you know, I disagree with how the producers approached it. I understand yeah. it was designed to maximize profits. That's capitalism, you know. Um, I, I think they created the conditions, but that does not mean I agree with anything that followed. I, I don't want to be very clear about that. Of, I, 
I, I mean, I still look at, you know, I know Moby used the term troglodytes. Um, and maybe he does mean that small subsection. I just, right. it, it seemed like he was broad brushing that. Well, whole, it's Moby, right? You have you to know, take him with a grain like, of salt. On, you know, <laughs> I got, you're a little bitter, but um, I mean, it just shows that in a crowd like that, you know, it's <laughs> what, 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 what I still love joking about. No single raindrop thinks it's the cause of the flood, you know, like right. <laughs> it's all part of the bigger picture. Uh, I, one of the things I found in a Rolling Stone article was there were 400,000 people over the four days of the festival, but only 250,000 tickets were sold, which means obviously 150,000 managed to get in. Yeah. So, so uh, a question I have that I just kind of thought about that I'd like to throw out there. So we know that, you know, things, things weren't great Friday night, right? You know, there, there was some anger from what we saw in the video. Obviously none of us were there. Um, clearly Saturday, they seem to go way off the rails with, you know, the Kid Rock, Limp Biscuit, some of the other stuff, and then, you know, everything else was going on and, and continued to do so Sunday into, you know, what everybody saw on the news and the, the different things with the, the fires that were set. At what point, and, and, and Haas, maybe this is a good a question for you to some extent, from a legal standpoint, should they have been held accountable for not trying to shut this shit down earlier, right? Saying, look, you know, th this is over. You know, you, you guys are destroying property on Saturday. You know, we, we can see this is getting out of hand. And clearly they weren't going to do that, right? Because they, they were there to make money. But, you know, I mean, what, what's the legal ramifications for, you know, continuing to allow that to happen, if any? Well, I mean, you're culpable. Right. Because right. I mean, ultimately, there's a, there's an agreement. Right. What when you when you buy a ticket to, to attend a venue like that, there's certain expectations, reasonable expectations that you have of, of what's going to be provided. I've got to imagine. And I, I unfortunately, I apologize. I, did, I was curious about this yeah. and didn't have time to do the research for it. But I was curious to see how many lawsuits were actually filed against uh, the promoters and whether or not how those turned out, because I've got to believe I've got to believe multiple lawsuits were filed. Well, and I think that was that was kind of my follow-up question, right? Because I think Grinch mentioned, it, you know, and these are just the numbers we found, right? I think there were four reported, and I want to stress reported, rapes. Um, obviously, we're sure that there could have been many more that were unreported. Uh, I think we confirmed there were three deaths. You know, you would think out of out of those seven events right there alone, alone, yep. there well, should have been some sort of, you know, repercussions and lawsuits brought. Yeah, and I mean, Haas helped me out on this, but you know, we, I, I think when you were talking about that chain, you know, I mean, I, I think the other term for that is proximate cause. Approximate cause causation and, is the same thing. They're, yeah, they're basically and, interchangeable. And so the irony, I guess, in all of this is for most of those people that, you know, were, are kind of the focus of this thing, meaning in the audience, they could be legally charged for damage to property. Absolutely. Because 100%. they have no defense other than yep. saying, the conditions were such and such, but that isn't illegal. Yeah, well, and, and one I of the, one that, of the only main go back and press those charges, right? I mean, obviously, well, there's I mean, some, look, there's look, some bro, there's a lot of, there was a have, lot of footage of that but, shit. I mean, you can go back and ID people. I mean, it happens in rioting and looting all the time. Now, I mean, it's you, happened. Well, it's happened in the January. Today. I think at the stuff, time right? it would have been harder to okay to sure. identify people. Right. Um, maybe, and so, what's your statute of limitations at that point? But right. Well, and if it's not in your legal interest, frankly, you that just too. move on because yeah, back to the who would bring the charges. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you just, technically, you just, you'd have to have that 
brought in that county, probably. I mean, I'd be willing um, to bet Sheer and those guys, they just wrote that shit off and moved on. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. And they never the looked back. Mayor as quick yep. as possible. <clears throat> they uh, paid look. off the people whose property was destroyed and they just kept rolling because it's like yeah. you said, what'd you say, 60 million? Is the, is, the, is, is the low end right would that's have, the low well, end of- yeah i mean if they if they were selling tickets and that doesn't include the vendor shares and all of that all of the money that was made that's i mean that's ticket sales that's still the low end right that's the yeah. low end of what was probably made is 60 million and what, what do you think it probably cost them to put that show together and pay the artists 10 15 yeah i don't know well, they paid I mean, a lot of thousand it. to resod it after a lot of it was probably <laughs> grants and stuff so they could right. pull off the event because it's in yeah. the city's interest Right. Yeah, right. You know, and then you do the vendor. I mean, there's ad dollars, and you're paying the talent and all that stuff, and the crew. I mean, I'm sure in the wash, they still came away looking pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh huh. I took an average, and, and I 150 dollars for a, a advanced ticket, 180 for an at door ticket. That Rolling Stone said only 250 thousand tickets were sold, not 400 thousand. So that's 42 million five hundred thousand if they sold on average at 170 dollars mm-hmm. per ticket, 250 thousand tickets. No food, no beer, no nothing. Right. That's straight no, ticket none, sales. None of the other add-ins. Well, like, like how much? They don't. How much do you think money, MTV? What, what, how, what was that deal worth? Well, I don't know because you didn't the pay per view. The pay per view, right? right? Sixty bucks. What is I said? Sixty bucks for 59. the three days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question and, and I want to ask one. this. Well, I want to ask this because I feel like you're getting ready to wrap us up here. Um, and I understand that because I ain't editing this shit. Um, <laughs> but you said, yeah, I say a lot Spades. of stuff. Le- legal nobody says. listens to me. <laughs> legal says. <laughs> so I want to go around the room and just kind of, you know, and I'll throw this out there for everybody to kind of mull on. Do you think there will ever be another Woodstock festival? No. All right, so I'm getting, I'm getting no. Well, I, I think when you've got when you've got the Bonnaroo's and the and the Coachellas, yeah, yeah. it's and not the, the same anymore. Yeah, and, right. and the and the Novas. When you've already got these established entities that have their own brand, where the shit ain't fucking jacked up. How do you dig this brand out of the again? Yeah. Pun intended. Out of the you, shitter. How right. do you, how, how do you dig 99. this brand out of the train wreck? Right. Well, and why do you yeah. not go to uh, Fire and why Festival would you? instead? Oh, good point. Yeah, you can uh, do that. see. We didn't even well, touch and, on and that. it's like an LLC. I mean, you just call it something different anyway. Right. If you yeah. were to try it. Well, yeah. Off, you know, it's so. Then let's ask this one final question. Go back to '99. The four of us. How many would have gone to this? I wanted to. I well, just I think. I think. Means. Hold on. Knowing no, what you I can't know, know now, you can't. You can't absolutely know that. not. You can't <laughs> At know the that. Time, yes, I probably would have wanted to go to this, and, and you know, would have gone. If somebody had come up and said, you know, here's a free ticket, I'm in. Because what were the dates? It was June twentieth uh, to twenty third, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, this is personality driven, not consequence driven. Of the logistics of getting New York to New York for a three day festival, yeah. I didn't have the money for that shit. July twenty second <laughs> through July twenty fifth. Well, that's what I say. If somebody had yeah. come up and given you a free ticket and said, yeah. "Here's a ticket." We're going to get you there. We're going to give you a tent. Of course. Would you have gone? Yeah. If I didn't I have the responsibility of a wife and two kids <laughs> right, at the well, time. At the time, you would have been fine with the tent. Now it's a camper. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if not knowing what you know, to be able to go to right. something like that would have been great. But of course, knowing what you know, you're like, mm. and we've joked I mean, about it now. I won't go to a three-day festival now. Not at my age. I'm not camping out. Fuck all that. <laughs> I mean, me Jewel alone would have been worth the price of admission. So, Willie Nelson. Well, and that was the other no, thing in the nobody? HBO version of, oh, only these many female artists. I was like, I'm going to again ask, what's the point you're trying to make? Right. 
Well, you I think, think it would have been better think, if there were more. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the point is because that, that might have actually been more were, fuel on the fire. Actually, no, I think the point being that you were still catering to a specific audience member. That that's the point I think they were trying to make with that right. possibly Grinch is that you know you were bringing in these bands that were clearly going to bring in a specific you know demographic fan, yeah. Yeah. right? And and it wasn't going to be your peace, love, and happiness hippie spin doctors you know well i mean i'll ask you know a a funny question i guess in that if you had taken out a rage a corn a limp biscuit and just said the lineup is is what it is otherwise i think yeah i mean because and that's the point of like like throwing the wallflowers you know but you look back at 94 you still maybe some metallica You had Red Hot Chili Peppers. You had uh, Green Day. I mean, like I said, you had some bands that, that you know were of the heavier ilk, I guess, and that didn't go off the rails. Yeah. So I mean, was it was it the bands or was it the fans? I, I don't the promoters. know. Well, how, how about, promoters. I mean, how about combination of using a bat to bash the in sync? I mean, we talk about exciting, whatever. Right. Right. Uh, the offspring. Yeah. Why Clajon doesn't get any smoke? For what he did, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I agree. At the end of the day, we could go on for another two hours and debate this. I, I think we all agree. No. You you lay responsibility clearly at the feet of the promoters. It was a lack of understanding of who they were bringing to the table. It was a lack of infrastructure. Yes, your fan base was an issue, but if you understood the bands, you'd have understood the fan base. You know, uh, right? If you say the buck stops here, you at the end of the day put this thing on, right? Yeah, the you, consequences you, fall to you. You contracted out your vendors. You contracted out your waste management. I mean, all of the things that are going to define your infrastructure from a habitable standpoint, you contracted those out to the lowest bidder. And just I was going to say, I think Grinch was a test, right? Those those all yeah. typically go to the lowest bidder, right? And so, and so uh, Grinch, you said it multiple times. You treat people like animals. How can you be surprised that they then act like those animals? And so that's where we are at the end of that three-day weekend. It was it was a shit-tastic situation. They did bring in uniformed police officers to quell the riots, break it up, and then spent three weeks cleaning up the site and kind of putting things back together. But, you know, were there a large majority of that 250 to 400,000 people that enjoyed themselves? Probably. Were there a handful of bad apples, whatever that percentage is? 100% absolutely. Um, you know, condoning the behavior towards women? Absolutely, you, you know, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I think, again, we all have girls. So it's like to think if my kid was going to that and that's what they would be subjected to, I'd be fucking furious. Well, and, and yeah. And to that point, I mean, even in our basis conditions, I firmly believe, and this is where I think we mentally cannot connect with this crowd. Just because I saw a topless woman doesn't mean I'm be like, <gasps> Gotta grab I am now Let me able touch it. Does it, yeah, it doesn't right, give me to be any... able to touch you invade right. your yep. personal space. Yeah. Yep. It's bullshit. Right. Personal space is still personal space. No Without matter. my permission, you don't have you don't have right to enter that space. Right. Regardless of whether I'm clothed or not. And at the end of the day, gentlemen, as always, I appreciate y'all being here and bringing your fresh perspective to every topic we bring to the table. This one was no different. Now, this has been two music ones back to back, which, you know, I'm not bothered by. And I hope our listeners aren't bothered by because we just enjoy talking about the topic and we'll see what next week, next week has to bring. But uh, I think. Consensus is you lay this responsibility at the feet of the promoters, John Sher, Michael Lang. Uh, yeah, Michael Lang's gone. So 
Will there ever be another Woodstock? No, I don't think they ever try to revitalize this brand if they know what's good for them. They leave this one where it belongs in the past, let it go. Because, you know, in seven years, you're going to be at the 60th anniversary of Woodstock and you go, oh, well, we could do it again. Some jerk off may consider it. Hopefully somebody says, hey, <laughs> no. Yeah, and then, and then you just leave Mac muted and we keep moving. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, as always, check out our website at aspirateddebate.com. All of the drinks that we try here, you can have my a spirited debate Brazilian lemonade. You can have Max PB and J, you know, or you can just have an IPA from Southern Pines if a beer is your thing. It's totally up to you. We don't care. Uh, but you can check out all of the drinks that we have here. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think of the show. If there's a topic you'd like to debate, you can you can always roll over to our email at the four horsemen at a spirited.com. Drop us a line there. Give us the topic you'd like us to debate. A spirited debate is here. Season three, the train rolls on. Gentlemen, I love you. We will do this again very soon. Looking forward to it. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> views, information, or opinions expressed during the A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests involved and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the host or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. While guests are invited to listen, listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided professional advice from the podcast or its guests. The content within the parameters of A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.